0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. So this week, we'll be featuring another outstanding guest in George Holmes. Now, if you remember from the past couple of episodes in which I introduced some of the talking points from my upcoming edition of Millennial Millionaire, you'll recall much of the economic insights I have are influenced by the extreme population growth, as well as technological advancements in the merging of the two. Now, George Holmes fits right into this conversation as he is the chairman and CEO of Resonant, one of the premier companies in designing 5G RF filters and modules. They're essentially the microscopic pieces within your phone that make seemingly unlimited data flow possible. Previously, George served as the chief commercial officer of Tygo Energy and several other senior executive positions within the tech space. He holds a BA from the University of Puget Sound and a diploma in international business from Nyrenode University, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, in the Netherlands. Our wide ranging discussion not only addresses the latest gadgetry and what almost sounds sci-fi, but also delves into George's leadership advice at the helm of a blossoming publicly traded company. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, George Holmes.
1: Is going to require work and time and
0: sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change the only constant. The Cadena Podcast.
2: Hey, Brian, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. And where are you dialing in from? You got a really nice background there. <laughs>
2: I'm calling you from Austin, Texas. Okay, so you know Austin. What, yeah, what you're seeing in the background is Town Lake going straight up the lake facing west. So uh, it's a great part of the world. It happens to be where our corporate headquarters are today. Uh, But we have a large development facility in Goleta, California, which is just north of Santa Barbara, as well as in Burlingame, California as well.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it seems like if you're in in business or anything tech related, you got to be in California and now Austin. That's uh, quite a migration from California to Austin, I might add.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, everybody's coming here now. They found it's the, one of the best kept secrets. It's a great town, great people. You know, probably the best thing going for it is, is a great uh, great business environment.
0: Yeah, I bet. Is it starting to change? Like, do you notice kind of the dynamic there of the, the population and the character of Austin changing at all?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, downtown Austin is just, it, it's just getting very, very busy. I mean, obviously for over the last 10 years since I've been here, it's continued to see pretty tremendous population growth. Last year has had a influx of people coming from all parts of the world, in particular from California, um, just trying to get away from, you know, everything that has been going on in in different parts of the world. But uh, good news is Texas is a great place to be and uh, it's a great environment and lots of great stuff to do outdoors. And uh, you know it's a great technical environment too. We've got the University of Texas uh, at Austin here, um, that is yep. a great place to draw from. And then we've got you know great universities all over Texas as well.
0: Definitely, and some good barbecue, I might add.
2: <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit.
0: <laughs> yep, yes, sir. So can you tell us a little bit about Resonant? I know that being the CEO of, of a big company like this certainly takes up quite a bit of time. If you want to just maybe give our listeners kind of a, a cliff notes of what this company does,
2: yeah, you know, and they, you know, and I, I will I'll give you the cliff notes, but I'd also tell you, while we are a public company, um, we are a micro The company is a public venture based startup, um, started in 2012, went public in 2014, and really started early revenues about two years ago. So we're in that growth phase that all startups go through. Um, and where we find ourselves today is we're in a great position, which we'll get a chance to talk a little more detail about here, uh, here this afternoon. But you know, as we sit back and look at uh, what the company is and what the company is doing, we are an RF filter manufacturer or designer, and we design filters for the largest filter manufacturers in the world. And transfer those designs to them so that they can in turn fabricate them and sell them to the uh, handset manufacturers. So you might ask, what's a filter? Filters are those tiny uh, physical devices that separate the frequencies coming into your phone or your mobile device. So when you sit back and think about all the different uh, signals coming into your phone, whether it be GPS signals, Wi-Fi signals, all the different uh, cellular signals, the Bluetooth signals coming into your phone. How you separate those and keep those from colliding with one another is with filters. They're the little RF fences that allow these signals to get to your phone uninterrupted.
0: Hmm. And now when we say filter, because these things are so inside of an iPhone, like so microscopic, is it an actual physical filter or is it a, a uh, software program per se that's doing the work? You
2: no, know, it's an actual physical device about the size of a grain of sand. And if wow. you think about your iPhone, you know, the first iPhone in 2007 had, you know, less than 10 filters in it. Today, the current iPhone has about a hundred filters in it. And that just is, you know, largely driven by the fact that in the early days, not a lot of data going into your device, where today there's a lot of things happening. I mean, if you think about all the different things that you do on your phone today, we're pretty much unimaginable back in 2007, just, you know, a little over 14 years ago. Um, it's pretty exciting to see what's happening, and it's only going to get more, you know, as we sit back and look at, Things like virtual or near virtual reality being done on their phone, downloading videos in less than 30 seconds. You know, today when you're standing in the airport hoping to get that video downloaded before you get on the airplane, it could be 20 to 30 minutes to download a high def video. And uh, those things are all going to change as the networks continue to evolve and technology continues to get better.
0: It is just incredible and it's all happening so fast, it's, it's almost hard to take a grasp of and so these filters like it's it's regulating the data that comes in that'll be used for the gps or for the youtube video or things of that nature How, how do they kind of kick into action is it which app you have open or what device you're clicking on that triggers it like is can you give us maybe like in layman's terms how they actually operate
2: well, you know, it's a hardware device, right? So it's always there, always doing its job. It's depending on whether or not it's being actively used or not, depending on the applications that you're using, depending on, you know, where you're at, uh, you know, throughout the country. You know, if you're in a location that only has 2G cellular service, you're not using your 5G filters. You're using 2G filters. If you're in an area that's got 4G LTE but does not have 5G, You'll be using 4G LTE devices uh, filters that are within the phone, but you know the key thing, and I guess the thing that kind of makes it more tangible for users, um, because these things are microscopic devices, right? So it's hard to kind of get your hands around what these things actually do. You know, best example for you is you know we've all been using the phone our cell phones, when they've gotten hot, when we've been talking on them, right? You talk on a phone, on a 20 minute phone call and the phone gets hot and you're like, wow, that's, that's, that's unusual. What, what's happening with my phone? Well, what's happening with your phone is the RF front end, which the filter is an integral component of is working harder than it needs to, you know? So what's happening is you're probably not getting good filtering. Um, You're getting a lot of overlap. The power amplifier that actually drives the signals out of the phone is working harder. It's the PA that is actually getting hot. And when the PA gets hot, that usually means your filters aren't working well. And what happens is not only does your phone get hot, but your battery life goes down. And uh, you see that that's a real degradation in performance. Another example of when a filter might not be working well it's when you're getting crackling on your phone. It doesn't happen very often today, but you know, it happened quite a bit, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, the whole notion of can you hear me now? Uh, for the different television commercials is all about are you getting a good signal? Well, part of getting a good signal is rejecting those signals you don't want. And the rejecting of signals you don't want is what a filter does.
0: It's interesting. In- now we talk about these different generations, I guess, So that's what the 1G, the 2G, the 3G, and now we're up to 5G, correct? Yes. That's the latest and greatest. So what exactly, you know, how, how have these evolved? Like what what is happening that we've gone through these various generations and when does it end? Like where, where exactly are we headed with all this development?
2: Well, you know, that's a great, great question. And, you know, there's no end in sight, right? They're already talking about, in the standards body, 6G. Um, it's just like, you know, as we look at what's happening on the Wi-Fi front, we're talking about Wi-Fi 5, we're talking about Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E. You know, as the demand for data in, continues to increase, um, you know, we're, we're kind of overly thirsty for driving, you know, you know, excessive amounts of data into our mobile devices you know, they're gonna continue to see these new generations of technology get implemented on our phones. Part of the thing that we look at is these, uh, these different standards, as it were, that came out, whether it be 2G, as you described, 3G, 4G, 4G, LTE, 5G, each of these technologies has a very long life cycle, which is why you see mobile devices today having legacy technologies. So they are backward and forward compatible. Typical life cycles are 10 to 15 years for these technologies that they get deployed. So, you know, as you have, you know, you went out and bought the brand new 5G iPhone or the brand new 5G Galaxy phone, those things have backward compatible technologies in them mainly because you're gonna be working in different areas throughout the US, throughout the world that may or may not have that uh, those different, uh, technologies available to you as a mobile phone user. So you might be in part of the world that doesn't have 5g, uh, you might still go to places that don't have 4g, uh, hence the requirement to have all of these technologies in the phone, which ultimately drives the complexity in the RF front end, which increases the number of filters in these devices.
0: Now, one of the things that just came to mind, and I appreciate you kind of giving this uh, summary to a technology novice, you know, like myself. I remember when I did a marathon in Washington, D.C., I had my phone on me and I had a whole playlist ready to go that was going to carry me through the marathon. And as soon as the gun went off and I hit play, it was like my phone froze and we couldn't get any data. And I wasn't able to listen to anything on, uh, I believe it was Pandora at the time that I was listening to. Why does that happen when you're in a, a massive crowd like that? Uh, does that tie into this, you know, 4G, 5G and these filters when you have just such a crowd of people all trying to use data?
2: You know what? It, that's a great question and it's a great example. Um, probably a better example for today's 5G than it is for some of the legacy technologies. I mean, clearly it happened with 4G and 3G as the new technology were rolled out. If you had a latest and greatest phone that was trying to communicate on kind of one of the cutting edge transmission technologies and there was an overpopulation as it were in a specific location, you could have congestion which would have potentially caused the situation that you described. That is probably more likely to be happening today in different 5G environments, just because there's not a massive rollout of the technology yet. I mean, the operators are all scrambling as you've seen on their different television commercials to get a footprint out there in the marketplace with their 5G platform. You know, T-Mobile's out in front. You know, Verizon's got a great platform depending on what part of the country you're in. Uh, you know, AT&T's got their footprint. T-Mobile is, you know, with, you know, the coming together, T-Mobile and Sprint's got this vast uh, footprint out there, you know, and so depending on where you are, you might have very good coverage, you might not have very good coverage, and depending on the type of coverage you have, and what type of network you're trying to get, the service you're trying to, to, to get onto your device, could be hampered by congestion, the more people in that area that are trying to get access to that same technology. Um, really complicated though um, lots of things that could cause that not the least of which is you know you were you were wrong place at the wrong time trying to do things that uh, the network wouldn't support hard to tell but uh, definitely something that could have been uh, contributed to uh, by the by the new technologies that you were trying to leverage
0: sure and It's it's funny because this kind of ties in a, a little bit perhaps, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the, the big um, chapters, I should say, that's leading into my next book, which is a second version of Millennial Millionaire, talks a lot about population and just frankly how crowded the planet is getting so quickly over the past several decades and certainly the last century. Is there a capacity of some sorts for all of these laptops, cell phones, smartphones, everything under the sun that's kind of interconnected on these networks? Or can we just keep on getting better and better and keep up with it?
2: It's a great question, Brian. And, the, you know, there's a lot of dynamics that go into that question. I'm sure you'll be exploring a lot of different uh avenues in your book. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions in this area, but I would tell you from a technology and a technology con- congestion perspective, there's a reason that we're moving up in frequency is to open up uh, more frequency bands and, and to create a greater opportunity for a wider pipe coming to your mobile device. Clearly there's a tremendous amount of congestion below three gigahertz, but now we're going through to five, three to seven gigahertz with the 5G Uh, implementations. We're seeing Wi-Fi 6, uh, Wi-Fi 6E, you know, and, you know, in the mid-sevens, and, you know, it's all about opening up big unfettered chunks of spectrum so that we can deliver more data to to you as a mobile user. Um, And these technologies are continuing to evolve. Clearly, um, the rejection channel-to-channel uh, which is what a filter does is kind of maintain the integrity of the data pipe coming to you uh, and into your mobile device. You know, as you're trying to reject the adjacent channels, trying to uh, reject the ing- uh, adjacent congestion, you know, can cause issues. But you know, as spectrum get opens up, the wider uh, pipes get wider. There's a greater opportunity to push more data to an individual user.
0: Wow. It's just incredible. And, and so it's, is there any physical aspect to this as we talk about, you know, going on the, I guess the different gigahertz, I believe you said, um, is there any physical aspect to it, or this is just all kind of stuff that you can't see, you can't touch. It's, it's just there. And we're on these, I guess, radio frequencies that are kind of, it sounds like they're almost unlimited.
2: Well, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, completely unlimited, because there's the, you know, the fundamental capabilities of the technologies that we have today. I mean, mm-hmm. if you set back, you know, 10 years ago and said you wanted to have good RF filtering at north of three gigahertz, guys would have said, well, there aren't any technologies that are available that will do that today. Yet now we find ourselves 10 years later, and there are technologies that are available that allow you to create some great filtering in these higher frequencies that'll allow you to get lots of users in a very congested area and not have the congestion that you described earlier when you're out doing your race. And which means that you're gonna get great data throughput to your mobile device. Um, You know, as you sit back and looking at RF, RF is kind of this, you know, kind of fuzzy thing that, you know we're pushing data over the airways um, but you know as technologies continue to evolve we're going to get greater access to higher frequencies that allow us to push more data uh, you know the higher frequencies at shorter distances but you know there's things like millimeter wave that puts you know kind of more uh, terminals out there such that you can get uh, you know a greater distribution of these tech, uh, of these frequencies into more localized areas so, Lots of technology evolution that's happening. Um, and uh, we as consumers are gonna figure out how to take advantage of it. There are some, some of the Uber apps that are gonna be developed over the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Some of which haven't even thought about been thought about today that we'll all probably use in our everyday lives we, and when the time comes. I mean, if you think about uh, in 2007, what you were thinking about doing with your phone, probably was just making a phone call, maybe sending a text. Yep. Um, you surely weren't thinking of using it as your, you know, as your mobile computer, like many people do today. So yes, lots of things have crazy. happened, as the technologies have
0: evolved. Without a doubt. And that's what I wanted to ask, and we'll come back to all this for sure, but it sounds like both you and I started in business, went to school for business, and now I'm talking about you know, investments and economics, and you're talking about things as small as a grain of sand that are blocking data and all this stuff that I can't even completely understand. How did you get to where you're at right now? And how did you get into this field in particular?
2: That's a really good question, Brian. And I wish I could tell you it was a direct line. Um, <laughs> it wasn't I was a, I was a finance guy when I came out of school. I, my first job <laughs> was in finance. I was a, you know, uh you know an operational controller for a telecom equipment company in the bay area and you know right place at the right time um given opportunities to do other things uh, you know i went from being a finance guy into operations and then ultimately into sales and marketing um and just with the right place right time with the right people mentoring me and giving me you know you know opportunities well beyond my capability no doubt Um, But I have the opportunity to work with some really good people. And what that has allowed me to do uh, over the last 30 years of my career is, you know, kind of put me in a place where I am today. But literally, I would tell you it's, uh, you know, working hard, um, you know, doing the best job I know how to do. Um, I I can tell you I walk into every room knowing I'm not going to be the smartest guy in the room, but, you know, hopefully I can outwork everybody that's there so that I can keep up and uh, you know it's a work ethic that's provided a good path for me up to this point and uh, you know that in the people that I've worked with I've worked with just some fantastic people over the years that have done really fantastic things whether it be from a technology perspective uh, where I had an opportunity to sell really exciting technologies or you know just from the sheer sure fact that they mentored me well to allow me to do what I'm doing today.
0: That's great. And it's so true. I mean, the harder you work, the luckier you get and things just kind of fall into place sometimes. Yeah. You know, and,
2: there's, there's, there's something to be said for it's, it's good to be lucky. Right. Sure. And, you, know, you know, we obviously all want to think we make our own luck by working hard. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, but sometimes just being at the right place at the right time where the right opportunities come together and being able to seize the day when that happens.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well said. And so what's it like now being you know at the helm of a publicly traded company? How does that feel? Like, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing each day, how you're taking this company that's doing a lot of cutting edge stuff and you know trying to get them I guess to the next level if you do want to get there and grow or or is it kind of stay small and, and focus on the quality of what you're doing?
2: Well, you know it, it, we're in a technology business, and obviously our goal is to you know, push this technology as far as we possibly can. We believe the the technology we have for 5G is, is very, very unique. Um, You know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, as frequencies go up, you get a lot broader um, uh, access to these wide pipes that are not existent in the lower frequencies. We happen to have a technology that was designed and is ideally suited for that. So we believe we have a technology that could potentially be ubiquitous uh, for 5G and high-frequency Wi-Fi and ultimately, you know, uh, ultra-wideband and then possibly even millimeter-wave applications. And so our perspective and what we work on every day is just focusing on execution, right? It's uh, we're a startup company. we're doing the right things. We spent a good part of the first three years uh, after I joined the company honing our craft as it relates to how to design, create designs efficiently, how to push them out to a multitude of different foundries in this RF space, have companies be successful taking our designs and ultimately selling them into mobile handset manufacturers and in some cases, automobiles We've had a a level of success there with our early designs. Um, I would tell you that the market uh, was in transition when we started Uh, as 3G and 4G um, became commoditized. We had to look, you know, what were we going to do? Because it's hard to create enough designs on a licensing basis to outpace the market decline from an ASP perspective. Um, And so we looked very diligently at ourselves and the things we were doing and looked at where the market was going. And we identified that we thought there was a major gap in the technologies that were going to be available for 5G. And we set out to design a RF filter technology that would work specifically in this arena. Um, I would say that, you know, it's through the perseverance and hard work of our, you know, tremendous team of technologists that have allowed us to get to where we are. Um, they created the opportunity for us to be at the right place in the right time with the right technology. And now it's our job to focus and execute so that we can deliver on the promise of what this technology can can do into the marketplace. You know, it's a, it's a big challenge. Uh, I would tell you today, for me, it's, kind of stay out of the way of the uh, technologists, allow them to do what they do. Uh, My job is to work with our investors, um, the marketplace, make sure people understand what it is that we're doing, why we're ideally suited for uh, a segment of the marketplace that is rapidly growing, why we think we have the ability to get in and dominate this segment, and then work with our customers to help them as we move forward and expand our footprint in their in their ecosystem and that's uh, you know that's a lot of work I work with our sales and marketing guys every day to make sure that happens and uh, you know that's kind of how I spend my time
0: got it and that's kind of a good segue into what I wanted to ask you is all this technology that seems so advanced and fascinating I assume there's a lot of reinvestment in research and development and things of that nature but like you mentioned earlier you really have a sales and a marketing background. How are you tying the two of those together? And, and I guess, who are you showcasing this to? Who are those customers that when you say execute, you know that you're trying to kind of execute this plan to?
2: Yeah, it's, that's a great question because as we sit back and look at our business, we are a licensing company, right? So gotcha. uh, we don't manufacture anything. We create designs, we license those designs to others who in turn build what we design and sell it to the OEMs. For us in the RF filter business, that means we're selling to filter manufacturers. There are seven companies that represent 98% of the market in the RF filter market, um, with the top company being Murata. uh, And the kind of the next grouping is the Corvos, the Skyworks, the Qualcomm's, the Broadcoms of the world. And then followed closely thereafter by Tao Yuden and Weissel. Those are the top seven companies in the space. Um, we are in very top old. as
0: far as design, like what you guys are doing. Or are they manufacturers as well?
2: These are these are the companies that own the market. They own ninety-eight percent of the market for RF filters into the mobile handset business. These are okay. the companies that sell these products into that market you know, approximately $15 billion market that guys are going after aggressively growing to over $22 billion uh, over the course of the next five years. So it's a it's a big market, getting bigger. These are the big players in it. Um, mm-hmm. We're fortunate that our largest partner happens to be the largest player in the market. Um, and you know, they've got north of 30% market share, clearly the biggest guy in the group. And uh, we're very, very lucky to have them as a customer. Uh, we have other customers in the tier one category and we're working to expand that. I would be, uh, I would be remiss as the CEO of a, of a public company to say that you know I really want our team to basically close deals with as many of the top seven as possible such that we can actually expand our business and expand our footprint beyond where we are today. Um, So it's a a challenge. It's one I think that we are well positioned to take advantage of. Um, I don't think we'll get all seven because clearly some of them have their own technologies that they think are as good as what it is that we're doing. But I think we have a really good shot at getting our unfair share of these companies as our customers. And then they in turn will get the mobile handset manufacturers as their customers and so on. Got it. So okay. it's a it's a space we find ourselves in today. We've already shipped over 60 million units, uh, or our customers have shipped over 60 million units with our technology. And uh, sounds like a big number. It's actually a pretty small number when you think of the overall number of units sold into the mobile handset space, which is in the you know tens of billions of units a year. But it's a it's a big number to us, and it's one that I think validates our ability to engage with the customer, do a design for them, have them in turn build it and ultimately sell it to an OEM.
0: And what is the OEM?
2: Uh, OEM is the original equipment manufacturer. It's basically the Apples, the Samsungs, the you know okay. uh, different Chinese handset manufacturers, depending on which ones that you uh, find in fancy today.
0: Okay. And that's what I wanted to ask, too, is, you know, you, like you said, you are a micro cap at this stage, publicly yeah. traded and yeah. have some some great things that you're designing. Is it something that you can kind of expand internally or is this one of these situations that you see quite often where one of these customers or the, the next level up in the food chain will say, hey, well, we'll either do it internally ourselves or we might just buy you and take you over um, what, how does that kind of work within this field?
2: Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And obviously, you know, as, you know, I think most uh, small, uh, you know, startup CEOs would tell you the best way to, to get acquired is to be focused on building your business and think about what it takes to build a good business. Because if you build a good business, then others will see value in what you're doing. And if what you have has value, someone else might want it. Um, I think our sole focus today is to build and execute our business, grow our business, get to profitability and build a great company. And I think we have the ability to do that. You know, we have noted historically, we've got uh, you know, four devices under contracts, roughly $9 million worth of uh, revenue. Uh, from the world's largest filter manufacturer it takes 12 concurrent designs like that to get to cash flow break even we think that there's an opportunity with our largest customer to do over hundred million dollars annually with them uh, in revenue uh, and that's for a company like ours that uh, you know currently you know just uh, approximately 28 million gets us to cash flow uh, break even on a cash basis so You know, lots of opportunity, pretty tremendous opportunity in front of us. That $100 million is with one single customer. I think from uh, my perspective, you know, that's the, the holy grail is figuring out how to, you know, execute, deliver, get more business, expand the business beyond the customers we have, and really build a solid business out there such that others will see it and go, You know, whether or not it's something they want to buy or just be a partner with, Uh, you know, that's kind of where our head's at is more customers, the better we're going to create great value for our shareholders. And that's going to be our number one focus.
0: Sure. Fair enough. And with the future of this kind of field growing, like you said, I mean, we're in 5G. What uh, even actually before I get to the next question, when will 6G begin (laughs) and what's that going to do to you guys in this, all these filters that have become so necessary?
2: Well, you know, the nice thing about it is, as you go up with 5G to 6G, you're going up higher in frequency. Our technology is ideally suited for the higher frequencies. So we think that we have the ability to become, you know, like Broadcom was to 4G. We think we have the ability that our technology, our X-bar technology has the ability to have the same kind of market dominance in five and six and ultimately millimeter wave and the you know highest frequency applications. Um, that's kind of where we see ourselves uh, going forward. I think that we are ideally suited to uh, deliver technology into that segment of the marketplace.
0: That's great. That's a good place to be in. And perhaps on the flip side, like what are some of the, the challenges that you see, or do you have certain things that kind of keep you up at night as the CEO of a really, you know, kind of, I don't want to say exploding company, but something that's really at that kind of tipping point of going to the next level.
2: Yeah, I think we are at that point of really having some breakout things happen, for sure. I mean, clearly, we've had some tremendous milestones of validation of our technology. Um, last October was a massive validation point when, you know, uh, we had our largest customer agree with us that our technology was suitable for these applications, that had met The uh, initial uh, performance and reliability and packaging requirements that they were now moving forward into the mass commercialization phase of the the agreement with us. So clearly that's a great validation point. I think it created lots of opportunity for us with other customers as they saw they didn't have to be the first one to go in and, and validate the technology. The biggest player in the marketplace has already validated it. I think that's a tremendous place to be. Um, but for me, the thing that keeps me up at night is time. Everything takes longer than I want it to, right? I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the big challenge is when you're doing really hard technical things, um, it, does, it just doesn't happen overnight. And we're a licensing company, so we're one step removed. I don't own my own fab. I don't have the costs associated with my own fab. I don't have the challenges associated with owning my own fab. But I also don't get the benefit having my own fab either you know um if you have your own fab you can walk downstairs and get the you know your next version of a device built we have to wait until we can buy time on a on somebody else's fab to get that done so everything takes time it doesn't happen as fast as you want it to um but good news is as we've continued to deliver um you know from an execution standpoint uh things have continued to get better over time
0: Yep. Yeah. Speed sometimes seems like it's everything. Yep. And the uh, going from 4G to 5G to 6G just kind of reinforces that idea. Yep. But one of the things I wanted to ask you as well is I, I had been watching 60 Minutes, I guess this was maybe three weeks ago or so, uh, where the, the Fed chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, was on. I don't know if you saw this. And he said the greatest threat right now to the U.S. financial systems, kind of coming into my world of economics, is cyber. So, with the things that you have going on, and, and I assume a lot of this kind of supply chain of everything that you're building and creating is international, of course. How do you guys address that? Do you have any exposure or uh, any kind of role within this entire cybersecurity conversation?
2: Well, I think anybody who does does business and transfers designs and does designs using the cloud is, you know, has some level of risk. Um, I would tell you that we spend a lot of time on the cybersecurity aspect of our business. It's top top of mind. It's one of the things that our auditors review with us uh, every quarter, every year. Um, And it's something that we spend a lot of time and energy on. Um, Fortunately, we are not at the forefront of the companies that have had issues with cyber attacks but you know, we're mindful of it. And it's something that we do the best job we know how and can afford to protect against those types of instances.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that in, in some of your bio, you have experience in various IP strategies and things. How does that work as far as you guys come up with one of these designs that could be a game changer for the RF filters? How do you protect that, I guess? Is that something that Somebody can easily kind of mimic or take a portion of your design and bring into their product?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, there is no direct line of sight for somebody to take one of our designs and take it and move it somewhere else and have it manufactured. Um clearly, you know, we're concerned about that. We keep an eye on everything that we do. We monitor our customers for their you know, making sure that they pay us for what we believe they owe us uh, as it relates to the designs they uh, manufacture and take into production. Um, You know, the good news about our technology, it's fairly complex, It requires some very specialized tools um, to port these technologies from one foundry to another. And we own the tool base. So you can't buy these tools off the shelf. So be very very hard not impossible but very very hard to take one of our designs and port it and use it somewhere else
0: okay so it sounds like a pretty secure position of sorts to be in well it's
2: as secure as it can be given the fact that we use you know we use cloud-based tools um, to you know to to leverage and create these create these designs for third parties and know we do the best job we can to protect against these types of situations um i you never say never but i I think we're in pretty good shape at this point
0: good good and kind of in a similar vein i mean this how are the rf filters actually uh built like what is the materials i guess if you can share that that actually is used to make this tiny grain of sand that goes within the phone
2: (laughs) well you know the piezoelectrics that are used you know, we use a variety of different materials. Obviously, the ones that we talk about the most is lithium niobate based um, uh, wafers that we get from the engineered substrate manufacturers today. That is kind of the kind of cutting-edge technology that we're using. Um, it's a fairly standard technology in the balance of semiconductors and optical components. Um, but uh, for us, we're the ones using it uh, to create a bulk acoustic structure, leveraging a uh, surface acoustic wave manufacturing process. So, the, the difference between those two manufacturing processes is just levels of complexity. Um, you know, surface acoustic wave technologies are built on piezoelectrics that are typically four to six processes deep, so multiple layers, building up four to six process steps where a typical bulk acoustic wave structure is 12 to 14 process steps um, you know you're you know when you sit back and look at kind of what's happening out there in the marketplace we're fortunate to be in the right place with technology at kind of the as new engineered substrates had became available we came up with a design methodology and some IP around, leveraging those engineered substrates into kind of these next generation R filter technologies that we call XMAR.
0: Okay. And what I wanted to get to with that is you hear a lot now that all the talk is about these microchips and that there's a shortage of them, both for the computers, the cars that we drive and so on and so forth. And kind of this ongoing debate of China and America and, and access to them and Do do RF filters have anything to do with that type of raw material? I guess.
2: Well, you know, supply chain issues are, you know, abundant uh, out there in the marketplace today. Obviously, we're seeing this kind of across the board. Um, I would tell you for us specifically today, it has not been an issue. Uh, For our manufacturing supply chain, we have seen that some of our customers have been impacted. Um, not in what I would call a major way, but, you know, it's a, it's a broad-based industry problem right now. Hmm.
0: And so what are you seeing kind of as like the the future? I mean, obviously this is a show to everybody, but we, we do cater a little bit to millennials and the other young professionals uh, out there. Anything that you might want to share with them as they're such tremendous users and even the next generation, uh, you know, that's living on Snapchat and TikTok and all these things within their device that they're kind of so absorbed into. Uh, Any comments you have of kind of like where this is all headed? What's it going to look like 10 years from today?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I almost had to, I almost had to just say, no, nothing new. Um, (laughs) But uh, You know, it's interesting. You know, we have, um, we have an advisory board that we work with that is, made up of some of the pillars in the industry, you know, everybody from the guy who ran uh, RF engineering at Apple for the last 15 years to the, you know, chief technology officer at uh, Skyworks to who's now the chief technology officer at Global Foundries to the guy who ran the business unit for Corvo to the guy who ran the Wi-Fi alliance for Broadcom, the guy who ran uh you know, wireless business unit for Qualcomm. I mean, these are all guys who are kind of at the forefront of technology and where the market has been and where it's going. What I can tell you is there is so much new technology. Um, I think that, you know, as we sit back and look at, you know, reminiscent of mission impossible movies and Born identity movies and things of that nature, where we see, you know, uh, you know, optics-based computer screens where you're just pulling things out of the air and working on virtual keyboards. I think that's going to be the reality. The question is, is how long is that going to be? I would have thought five years ago, that's probably not within my lifetime. It's probably, you know, kind of, if it is, it would be at the end of my lifetime. I actually think today is probably we're five to seven years out to start seeing that technology commercialized. I mean commercialized. I think it's available today. I think that uh, I'm I'm currently aware of at least a couple of companies that are working on that technology today Um, and as they continue to do so those technologies will be commercialized and when they become readily available to us as consumers I think it will be another wholesale change in the way we do things. I mean I think you can imagine I mean who would have thought we'd been doing you know the, the types of things we're doing gaming and virtual reality wise today with some of these large connected headsets, those things will all get miniaturized. They'll all become you know, like your glasses that you're wearing with a, with a small battery pack or something of that nature. Um, I think the technology is gonna continue to evolve, gonna continue to evolve in a very fast way. We aren't really talking about the evolution of the cell phone as much as we were 10 years ago We're now talking about all these other connected devices and how we're gonna be going back to a situation where we're gonna be leveraging the cloud for processing power even more. Um, I think it's gonna be very, very interesting. Um, We aren't gonna be wanting for Christmas presents for the next 20 years, I don't think. I think the (laughs) technology is gonna continue to evolve. And as technology continues to evolve, they're all gonna be communicating wirelessly which bodes well for companies like ours
0: yeah I bet I bet and it's just uh, I mean it's it's so cool and it's also a little bit scary uh, you know on the other side of the coin you you read a book like ready Player one that's in this whole virtual reality space that just seemed like kind of science fiction and now it's almost becoming science nonfiction and it's, uh, it, it, it,
2: I think virtual reality is here already right yeah. Um, it's, it's all a function of today. It's all a function of the money you can spend to go leverage it. Um, but I think over I think over the course of the next five years, it's going to be very much part of our you know everyday uh, work life experience uh, uh, as these technologies continue to evolve. And you know if you think about how that can impact you, right? I mean, it was interesting. I we did a couple of videos uh you know this past year to kind of help people understand kind of where the technology is and where it's going and, and that was really because there was so much activity uh over the holidays and and all the way through the super bowl on you know 5g and what 5g is doing and where it's going a lot of hype you know and this goes back actually 18 months ago right uh i can think back at christmas time not this past christmas christmas before i was keenly worried that we might be too late because there was all this discussion about you know a remote surgery i mean you saw great commercials on television over the holidays about you know remote surgeries people getting picked up by an ambulance and their paramedic has got pop up screens coming up and they're doing remote diagnostics as you're driving into the hospital that will happen it's just not there yet you know, the technologies just aren't there yet to do this real time, you know, high definition communication that would be required to do, you know, kind of that remote medical applications that we showed there. Same holds true for, I mean, we're all seeing this with autonomous vehicles, right? You know, autonomous vehicles require very low latency uh, in the RF communication, the RF communication between you and the next vehicle ahead of you. RF communication, you uh, reflections off the you know the stationary devices around you very low latency low latency is one of the things that native in the application for 5g we're not there yet um you know where you know latency which is the time it takes from the event to the time the subsequent event those two periods of time you know that you know 10 seconds of latency is like 60 feet i mean it's a it's, that's a lot of distance if you're traveling at you know, 60 miles an hour and the vehicle ahead of you has stopped, right? So it's those things that are going to continue to get better that are going to create a much, more, a much richer consumer experience. And I think that's what we're going to see over time. I mean, today, you know, autonomous, uh, autonomous driving is taking my hands off the wheel while I've got adaptive cruise control. Well, that's gonna continue to what we'd consider full autonomous driving over time, right? There's already autonomous vehicles out there being tested. As the technology continues to evolve, that's gonna become more mainstream. As it becomes more mainstream, we'll all get more used to it, right?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm just thinking like the kids, are they gonna be getting driver's licenses or are they just gonna learn how to work a computer and then they can go inside of it and go to where they need to be?
2: Exactly, I mean, there won't be, you know, 20 years from now, it'll be, it will be a trade craft to get a driver's license.
0: <laughs> I bet. Because it'll be
2: all autonomous vehicles. You get in, you you punch your number of where you're going and you're gonna be sitting in a passenger seat. You yeah. know, uh, trades people will be the ones that are actually have gone to school to learn how to drive because they will be the ones that are working in areas that can't use autonomous vehicles. I mean, yeah. that probably where I'm at. So, you know, that's something I have to look forward to.
0: Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. And I know uh, I've really kind of digressed into the technology side of things because I do find it fascinating and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will too. But I just want to ask a couple of questions, if I may, on the, the business side. Coming back to that, you mentioned that advisory board sounds like a ton of talent that you have on there. You're the CEO of Resonant. Can you tell us a little bit about your leadership style and how you sit down with these folks, all these you know great minds and how are you getting the most out of them from the advisory board to your, your management staff? What, what's kind of, do you have some normal exercises or, or ways that you like to kind of walk people through, you know, getting the most out of their day?
2: Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a, <laughs> and, and, and life has changed over the last 18 months, right? So what we did before, you don't do now. Yeah. And hopefully we're getting back to the, more of the norm, but let, let's start with the advisory board, right? Um, that is really ha- all about having a crisp vision of where you wanna go, right? And what we wanna do with the company. And that comes from my team, obviously, but having a crisp vision for them. So they have something very specific that are trying to help us attain. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest, biggest thing with them. I mean, obviously what we do with them, we have very regular meetings with this team of guys um, and where we talk about, you know, what the vision is, what we're doing technically to attain that vision and then what we're doing and what help we need from them to help us close the gap between where we wanna get to and where we are. Um, And that's just, you know, constant communication between us and them on where we're trying to get to versus where we are today. And so just having a very active dialogue. Fortunately, we have a good group of guys and you know, it's interesting once you get guys, I mean, uh, looking at their pedigrees, right? And, and their bios, you, you could easily be intimidated by this group of individuals. Well, they like, put their pants on one leg at a time like everyone else. And they solve problems like everyone else does. They have to understand what the problem is, understand what they have in their goodie bag to go address it. And then they're trying to figure out how to close the gap. And when you have that many smart guys sitting around the table, it just allows you to come up with much more a greater breadth in the number of alternatives that you might have, is if you only had one smart guy at the table, right? Yeah. So that's that's kind of how we leverage the advisory board, is we, you know, we we leverage the fact that we've got eight guys sitting around the table that are super smart and that we've clearly articulated where we're trying to get to versus where we are. it's all about closing the gap. I wouldn't say that that's any different as we take it down one notch to my executive team. I, I would tell you, I believe that we have a very collaborative process where we identify where we're trying to get to and then we work on it together to try to close that gap. We happen to get together now daily Uh, on on Teams meetings, like we're doing here, it happens to be a Zoom meeting. Um, But, because we have to do that because there's no longer, are you walking around poking your head into somebody's office and and chatting with them about what they're working on today and how can you help? We do that now via a daily Zoom call. Um, And we do that every morning to just trying to make sure everybody's on the same page. So we're openly communicating on where we are, where we're going. What do we need? How can we leverage the gray matter in the room to kind of close the gaps that we might identify on a daily basis?
0: And one question off of that, because I know this is kind of a hot topic, especially as all the states are opening up, we're kind of returning back to some normalcy. Do you see, see like the things working just fine with kind of, quote unquote, popping your head in through a Zoom meeting? Or do you miss the days of actually being there in person Like, have you seen any sort of uh, gap in productivity or efficiency from your own staff or have they just kind of kept on moving uninterrupted throughout this change?
2: You know, I think that, you know, for the most part our team has worked very efficiently uh, in the remote environment uh, in large part uh, because due to the lack of, you know, a startup company in, in a facility that's got a lack of conference rooms, we had a lot of guys working on Teams and Zoom already Uh, because they were using virtual conference rooms. But I think what they got there versus what they get now is they got up to go get a coffee. They got up to go to the, you know, restroom. They got up to go sit in the, you know, in the cafeteria to have lunch. Those opportunities are now missed. You know, those opportunities to collaborate in in an ad hoc collaboration environment. I think we missed that by not being in the office together. Um, I agree. I I'm, agree. I'm, a fir- I'm a firm believer that, you know, the the whole notion of management by walking around is collaboration by walking around as well. I mean, just, you know, I had, a, I had this conversation with a young man that works for us. He, he was, he was, he caught me in the hallway. We happened to be in the office two weeks ago because um, we've been, Gradually getting back to the office on a on a you know on ad hoc basis as we kind of move our way towards uh, fully in the office. And he grabbed me and He goes, uh, you know, I would really like to put forth my opinion that I think we should do this, you know, uh, on a, on an individual basis. That some individuals should come into the office full time, and some individuals should be able to decide not to come in full time. And I, and I, my response to him was, is thank you so much for your opinion. I really value it. It's a good thing I was walking around and you had the opportunity to share that with me. And he, mm-hmm. and I st- and I just stood there and looked at him and he kind of, he kind of light bulb went off and he goes, Oh, I get it. I wouldn't have been able to have a conversation
0: with you exactly
2: about something that was meaningful to me if I hadn't been here. And I, and I, I said, it's that kind of opportunity that I think that is missed. This happened to be something that was important to him, but stuff that's important to the company happens every single day just by people being in a position to collaborate. And uh, I think that is, that hurts. I, I, I don't know how to quantify how much it hurts, um, but I, I do think that it does disadvantage us as a group uh, by not being able to do that.
0: That's a great point because I even look back on my own career over the past 12 years and some of the, the best aha moments I've had have been at different conferences and things where you finished and then afterwards you just go into the bar with, you know, grab a drink with one of the folks that you met. And all of a sudden you're sharing ideas through conversation that you say, you know what, that, that would be perfect to put into my practice or into my business. And it's true without those moments, you just don't kind of, Cross by that happenstance that uh, you're not going to find it in an email. You know, that's a great yeah. point.
2: You don't find it in an email, and you, you can't plan for that on a Teams call or a Zoom call. I mean, sure. you know, we're having a Zoom call. This happens to be an interview, but you know, if you and I were working together on something, we might have a Zoom call every day, but we're in and out on the Zoom call for the specific topic of what we're working on. Very rarely do you just pick up the phone and Zoom somebody to chew the fat because you were yeah. virtually walking by. And I think that that's, that's hard. And we had this discussion with our team about in October of last year. And we said, as the executive team, we want everybody to feel free, pick up the phone on any given day. If you just are thinking, hey, I got a free moment, I want to pick the phone and Zoom somebody. We'll all pick up the phone. It happened for about a week. A small number of pick up the phone zoom calls and then it stopped because out of sight out of mind correct or if you're in the office you get those regardless exactly. just because you're walking past somebody
0: yep well you know what george i mean we might just be a few years away from when we can all just virtually walk around together and uh <laughs> then we can get those moments even though we're a thousand miles away
2: <laughs> yeah you, you know if uh if, if some of these guys get what they're planning on i think that will be the case yeah. Um but until that point in time, you know, I, I think that uh, that in-person contact's a big deal.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And if I could, I'd like to transition kind of in closing. Some of my listeners have found the, the greatest part of these interviews to be a bit of a lightning round that we do at the end. Just ask you some questions, get to know you a little bit better in your story. Um so if you're okay, if we could run through that for a couple minutes here.
2: Sure, far away.
0: Awesome. So first up, what would be your favorite book?
2: My favorite book. Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a toughie. Um, it would probably one of the Tom Clancy books. Cause I'm just, when I get out of doing emails, I tend to want to go into something that is not uh, more adventure based and uh, less something that is less topical uh, I try to find I try to find reading material that is uh, not going to challenge me mentally because I'm doing that all the time every day, trying to keep up with these, you know, 60 some odd PhDs I have working for me.
0: Yeah, I bet. Well, you'll have to check out my latest book. Anarok is a fantasy novel, my first fiction book. So it's um, I mean, that's the reason why I went into fiction is to find an escape during this whole pandemic. So
2: oh well, there you go.
0: Yep, add it to the list. And uh, next up, what would be your favorite quote?
2: Oh, favorite quote. You know, sadly, um, you know, it's one I got from uh, somebody who is a mentor to me and really kind of leaned in on me when I was young in my career. And it was all about, it's the same one I use with the young people that I mentor today, which is, you know, you can, you're going to walk into a room, you're not always going to be the smartest guy in the room, but you can be the one that works hardest. And that's, that is, that has been kind of my temperament, uh, my whole career.
0: Got it. I like it. And this, of course, is a bit of a finance show. So I I have to ask, what would you say is your best investment that you've made? It could be monetarily or otherwise, uh, but your best investment?
2: Well, it's uh, you know, it's a, that's a great question actually, and I think that uh, I was having this discussion with a, a friend of mine last night as he ponders a new job. Um, I think the best investment we can all make is the investment in ourselves, and to bet on yourselves to do what you set out to go do. And I look at kind of my career, and you know, I've I've never taken the safe route. I've always bet on my ability to get in, execute, outperform, and then go do it again. And uh, I think that's, that's something that, you know, quite often people are afraid to take a risk. Um, and I think that, you know, probably the biggest bet we can make is the bet on ourselves.
0: Got it. And on the flip side of that, anything that you could point back to in your history, uh, again, it sounds like you're comfortable to a certain extent with risk, would you say would be the worst investment that you've made?
2: Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, when, I, when, I, when I tried to re- retire the first time I bought a home automation company in the town I was moving to. Um, and uh, what I found was, is when you own a home automation company and you live in a small town, uh, every party you go to, you become the technical expert for everything that happens in their home. Uh, that is a horrible idea. Uh, <laughs> every party you go to, you're like, hey, come on over here. Let uh, Can you help me with my remote control? And you're like, hold on a second. I, that's not my cup of tea. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, I lost my shorts in it. So uh, I would tell you that was probably my worst investment.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you for sharing. And of course, you're a CEO of a, a very thriving company right now. So how much do you sleep at night?
2: Not enough. Four hours, probably.
0: Four hours, really? Yeah. Okay.
2: And another question. Wake, you always wake up in the middle of the night and you, you know, I wake up at three, between three and four every morning, and then I'm immediately thinking about what we have to do today. So that's kind of that's kind of my my thing is I get up and, you know, there's always something to work on.
0: Yep. There's always something on your mind. And uh, last question here. Actually, we got two more. I'm sorry. But this is one that uh, is all the craze right now that I found on some of my guests. Do you eat breakfast?
2: Eat breakfast. Um, I usually have a bar of some sort.
0: Okay. Like a Nutri-Grain bar or something?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, something because I... Grab and go. I mean, if I'm really lucky, I'll, I'll get to go over to Starbucks and, you know, have a bar while I'm sitting having a cup of coffee. Running into one of the guys that I work with, um, yeah. you know, as you asked me earlier, I, uh, you know, I'm living in Austin, but I also spend probably three weeks a month in Galita. So I have an apartment there, and there's three or four guys in the apartment complex. We get up and we go to Starbucks, and if we're lucky, we're there at the same time. We sit and share a cup of coffee and have a bar together. And that's usually kind of, that's a real
0: big breakfast for me. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, You'd be surprised doing a lot of these interviews, how some of these high powered folks, if you will, uh, swear by getting the right amount of sleep and starting the day with a big breakfast. And then others just as a successful that say, I yeah, forget it. They're <laughs> you know, just trying to get, you know, get into their day.
2: You know what? Here's a crazy thing. I have a a very good friend of mine, very successful, very successful software salesperson. We had dinner with him uh, last week and he was talking about his breakfast at champions. He goes and buys three boxes of donuts at the beginning of every week and they last him all week long. And we're like, (laughs) you eat how many cinnamon rolls? He goes, usually one (laughs) or two in the morning. I said, so he's upgraded. He's upgraded he's yeah. awesome. we were at with him, he was having Pop Tarts in the morning. You oh, know, it's like he's gone from Pop Tarts to cinnamon rolls.
0: I'm like, yeah, definitely
2: missing something. I'd weigh 3,000 pounds if that were me.
0: <laughs> in my last question here on the lightning round so obviously, you do a good bit of travel being the CEO of the company and you studied abroad, which I did as well in Prague. Great experience. What would you say is your favorite location that you visited?
2: Oh, that's a great one. Um, I am a big fan of the Dolder Forest uh, outside of Zurich.
0: Okay. What is it called? The Zolder?
2: Oh, Dolder. D-O-L-D-E-R. There's a, Dolder great, Forest. a great hotel there called the Dolder Grand, which is up in the top of the Dolder Forest overlooking the city. It's just beautiful.
0: Huh. I'll have to keep that in mind. Well, thank you so much, George, for making time here and, and sharing a lot of your history and some insight for all of our listeners. Uh, as we close out here, any parting words that you'd like to share, any advice or anything else on your mind?
2: You know, hey, Brian, I truly really appreciate the opportunity to tell the story about Resident, a little bit about my background. It's just always great to have the opportunity to do this. and I want to thank you very much for taking the time and uh, sharing the time with me today.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and we'd have the pleasure to listen to George Holmes today. So please keep tuning in and uh, we will see you next week. Until next time. Bye.
1: podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS or Guardian. This material contains the current opinions of the speakers, but not necessarily those of PASS, Guardian, or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice. None of the organizations mentioned in this podcast have any affiliation with Guardian or PASS. Brian Coderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS. OSJ 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey 07003 973-244-4420 Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS member FINRA, Sipic. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian Coderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian California Insurance License Number OK04194, Approval Number 2021-122724, Expiration Date 7-2023.